You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. As we continue with our series of uh, the story of Isaac and Jacob, we come to Genesis 26, and we're reading almost the entire chapter. I've left off the last two verses, which uh, flow nicely and fit into, uh, Lord willing, next week's uh, sermon. And so we come to Genesis 26, which is really one of the main sections dealing with the life of Isaac. Isaac seems to live in the shadow of his father and his son. And it's really, chapter 26 seems to be one of the few chapters, if you will, just solely devoted to him. But even as we see, as we come to this chapter, thinking about what we've heard before in the life of Abraham, much of this sounds familiar. Indeed, some of these episodes are almost identical to what happened in the life of Abraham. And it seems as if Moses, as the narrator, is trying to draw our attention back to Abraham. But I think ultimately, in these episodes, in these echoes, he's trying to draw us back to Abraham's God. He's trying to draw us back to see the faithfulness of Abraham's God. So let us now read this, starting at verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking, lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say, She is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might have easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, 
go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servant dug, servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, This water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that, and so he called it Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you, and I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, why have you come to see me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be sworn, a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So we made them a feast and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about a well that they had dug and said to him, We have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Well, it's a bit of a long passage there, and seems to kind of wander and meander, but you see in it Isaac appears to be, if you will, wandering and meandering uh, through his life. But you'll note that at the beginning of this text, and as you, you hear this, you, you may be thinking of a lot of this sounds as if this is exactly what happened in the life of Abraham. So much so that some scholars just say these are just uh, stories that are just sort of reused and that they didn't actually happen. But when you come to verse 1 of 26... When it speaks about a famine in the land, Moses then adds, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. Moses, as he's writing this, is fully aware that the events that are happening in the life of Isaac seem to be repeated or very similar events to what happened in the life of his father. And really what you seem to have here is a comparison of Abraham and of Isaac. And you'll see the way that Isaac acts throughout this. He is a complex character. Sometimes he does the right thing. Sometimes he does the wrong thing. But what we see throughout it really is, is the consistency that we see is the way in which the Lord deals with him. You'll notice there in this section, the Lord comes to him twice in what appears to be a, a, a theophany or a time in which the Lord appeared to him in some sort of visible capacity, and speaks to Isaac. You'll note in the second one, the Lord tells him, fear not. 
and likely the case is there is something or someone standing there in front of Isaac. And so what we see here is that God is faithful even at times when Isaac is not. And all of this is bound up in the simple fact that God made a promise. And we see that worked out through the life of Isaac. Well, we'll just look at this section here in just three parts of looking at the ways in which we see the life of Abraham now present in the life of Isaac. In verses 1 through 6, we really have the blessings of Abraham, if you were, re-promised. In verses 7 through 13, we have the sins of Abraham revisited. Then 14 through 33, the path of Abraham retrodden. So the blessings of Abraham. Really, this story here in 26 harkens back to Genesis chapter 12, this very foundational story where God has promised to Abraham that he would be his God and that Abraham would have this great nation that would come from him. And the Lord is going to reiterate that to Isaac. But yet we find ourselves in a situation very familiar to those living at this time and certainly familiar to Isaac's father, Abraham, that there's just a a famine in the land. And Isaac is somewhat nomadic, though they have tents and herds. Uh, With a famine in the land, it becomes very dangerous. And certainly then there's the question of, well, what will happen to Isaac's line, to his children and the children after them? And so Isaac then needs to move his entire camp. And likely where he is, he is thinking probably the best place for me to go is back to Egypt, just as Abraham had done before. But here is where another twist is introduced into the story. As he's on his way or in route or even before he goes, we're told that the Lord appears to him and tells him very specifically, do not go down to Egypt but dwell in the land that I will tell you. And so, Abra- so Isaac then goes and dwells not in Egypt, but in Gerar, which is in the, the Negev or the Negev uh, region, which would be somewhere in between Israel and Egypt. And so he goes and he dwells there. And you note down in verse 6 that the Lord has given him a direct command and also told him he will be with him and he will bless him. And verse 6 is Just one of those wonderful little verses there. And Isaac settled in Gerar. When the Lord commanded, Isaac was faithful. Isaac did what the Lord had told him to do. And then sandwiched in between this, we have this great series of promises. It looks, if I've counted right, there are six times the Lord promises that I will do something in the future. I will be with you. I think that's one of the most amazing ones we see at the very beginning. I will be with you. One commentator just termed it the Emmanuel principle. That God will be with Isaac in a very special way, a way that's very different from everyone else living in the world. That he will be with Isaac. I will bless you. And I will give you this land to your descendants. That I have sworn this oath to Abraham and I will do it. You can think of that ceremony where Abraham falls into a deep sleep and he sees the smoking fire pot there as the Lord consecrates this covenant 
And here now he is telling Isaac, as I swore to Abraham, so I will fulfill this oath. And just as he promised Abraham, I will multiply your offspring. And then he continues reiterating this great promise that was given to Abraham. In you, in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. I will really bring about this worldwide blessing through your lineage. But then verse 5, there seems to be a little bit of a warning given to Isaac. That it is not that Abraham had to behave himself or, or risk uh, God's ire in being cast out, but nonetheless, Abraham was expected to be obedient to what God has told him to do. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And you can see different terms here used of the entire entirety of what will later be codified in Deuteronomy, the commandments, the statutes, and the laws. But again, as we'll see in the life of Isaac, and we know from the life of Abraham, that Abraham was just far from perfect, and Isaac is much the same. And so we see Isaac and his faithfulness in verse 6. <coughs> And so you'll remember the designation that the Lord uses throughout the scriptures, that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the way he speaks eventually to Moses. I am the God of your ancestors, but very specifically these three in particular, that I have been faithful and I have been with them and I have blessed them and I have looked over and looked uh, and kept them safe. I mean, really, you could say from chapter 26, all that's happening, and, and it's certainly, it's interesting, and there are things for us to learn, but above it all, we're just simply seeing that God's faithfulness lasts through generations. I mean, you can think about as we, we wake up in the morning, we generally assume that the sun will rise. I know we live in England, and sometimes it seems that the sun doesn't rise, but I have it on good authority that it rises every day. Or the same way that gravity just continues to work. And so God's faithfulness, actually his covenant promises, are of even firmer foundation than that. And we see that through the life of Isaac. Well, in verses 7 through 13, we come back to a very familiar story. And actually, as we come to this story we sort of might, by now, might be expecting a different result. And actually, as we come to the story, we do get a different result, but with the wrong character. You could be thinking now, maybe this is the time where Isaac will trust the Lord in the midst of these circumstances, instead of relying on his own wits to try to outsmart these people and protect himself rather than trusting in the Lord. And this is a, an episode from the life of Abraham, happened twice, once in Egypt and once in Gerar. And in both of these instances, the, the Pharaoh or the king actually took Sarah, and it was only through the Lord's providential hand that she was protected. And so verses 7 through 8, we have the same trick, uh, but with a different twist. Here, as Isaac comes into this city, comes into this place, he is worried about the men of the city. And you'll note the difference there, that he's, he's not actually worried about the king coming and taking his 
wife, which is what happened to Abraham. He's just, in general, worried about the men of this place because, as it was for Sarah, Rebecca is very beautiful. And in some sense, you have some sympathy with Isaac. He's a, he's a foreigner. He has no rights. If the men of the town decide to take his wife, it really might be something they could very well do. And so Isaac thinks to himself, I remember this great plan that my dad had, and it worked twice. So we will say she is my sister. So instead of Isaac trusting that the Lord would uphold and protect him, he reverts back to trusting in himself. And the twist of the story is simply that nobody takes Rebecca. Did you notice that? In the story of, of Abraham and Sarah, Sarah is actually taken. In, you can have, again, some sympathy with Abraham who has seen this happen firsthand. And actually also with Abraham when he says she's my sister, well, yes, he is attempting to be deceptive. It actually is a true statement. But with Isaac, it's just a flat-out lie. She's not his sister, and there's no way you can make it that way. But then for a long time, a long time, they're completely left alone. In verse 8, when he had been there a long time, suddenly his ruse is found out. And it's found out because Abimelech, this is likely Abimelech 2 or Abimelech's son from the first episode with Abraham, he, he looks out a window, and the, the ESV says they were laughing together. And it's a bit of a play on words there because Isaac's name comes from the word uh, to laugh. But clearly, even as we can read in the text, that laughing here is likely some form of a euphemism. They are engaging in probably just public displays of affection. That is not quite what brothers and sisters should be doing. And the king, looking out his window, sees this, and he knows these two foreigners and likely they're just kissing, most likely. And he's like, he seems to be particularly upset at what could have been done to his people. In verses 9 through 11, he, he comes down. And again, I think this is where we start to see the twist in the story. In the last one, uh, Abimelech, his father, just went and took Sarah. In this one, Abimelech, too, comes down, seemingly to storm down there and wants to give Isaac a piece of his mind. And he is just livid and upset with the situation that Isaac has potentially or potentially could have placed his people in. Why have you done this to us? You've told us she was your sister. Someone could have taken her and lain with her, and then you would have brought all this guilt upon us. And so here we have a, a pagan king giving one of God's people an earful, and it seems as if Isaac just rightly deserves it. And so we, the situation is similar to what happened with Abraham, but it does seem to have a fair amount of differences. And then the king makes this great decree that they are to be protected and that people are not to touch them or they will be put to death. And so God ultimately seems to be orchestrating this even through Isaac's lack of faith. And then in verse 12, we get this idea here that Isaac now has settled and he's planting crops and the Lord brings a hundredfold increase. The end of verse 12 is wonderful there. The Lord blessed him. And so Isaac is now producing these great crops during the midst of a famine. 
even after his, this stint with the king, the Lord is still with Isaac. The Lord is still prospering him and blessing him. And really, I think what we're, we're to see here is we're, we're just to see again that Isaac is not a perfect person. And if you think about it, it's easy to look at that story and to think we would all act differently. It's easy to think that in the, the midst of a, a very trying and difficult situation in which your faith is tested, that you will come out on the other side having upheld your faith. That you would not be like a Peter when the cock crows thrice. Or that you would not be like Isaac and trusting in your own wits instead of in the Lord. But I think we can all understand or we can all empathize with the fact that we often fail in those times. It's so easy because if you think about what Isaac has, he has this king before him. He has this city of unknown people that he's living in. And he has the Lord who is with him, but he's just not there, is he? He's not physically present. And what Isaac sees is a very real possibility of his wife being taken and him being killed. And I think also what we see is the faithfulness of the Lord. I mean, think about this, that Isaac is a sinner like his father. And that doesn't mean that the Lord cast him out. You think of Abraham, uh, Abraham's first sin, Isaac's first sin. The Lord was still gracious. What about when they get to their 50th sin? The Lord is still gracious to them. And actually, this story continues even up to the, the, the times in which we see Israel in so much apostasy. The Lord finally comes in judgment upon them, but he doesn't obliterate them. He then is gracious to them, that he truly is God who is with them and God who is with us. And you think of what we just read for our assurance of pardon. John is actually assuming that you and I will sin. And then tells you not to run from God, but to go to him. And finally, in verses 14 through 33, we seem to see Isaac almost retracing the steps of his father. You'll notice that there's all these wells that Abraham had dug during his time that the people of the area have then covered over with dirt. Uh, it's possible this is just sort of a, a spiteful reaction to Isaac's mighty and, and, and great wealth that he has. The Lord's continuing to bless him, and those around him are very envious. Again, you can think of what will happen in Israel's history later on when Israel will be growing and, and, and multiplying so greatly that the Egyptians then become envious and worried, and so they then act out against them. And here, the, the way in which they act out against Isaac is they just simply tell him to leave. Go away from us, for you are mightier than we. And it's possible here that, again, if there's a famine in the land, there's going to be a, a conflict or there's going to be times in which resources will be sort of fought over. And if Isaac is continually growing and getting bigger and bigger, then that's going to leave less for the Philistines. And we'll see even later in this text as there's these conflicts happening over these wells. And again, you have to remember during a time of famine, these wells are going to be incredibly, incredibly important. And so Isaac then departs from there. He camps in the valley of Gerar, 
and he settled there. And he digs these wells, these three different wells. The first well he digs, well, there's a conflict. The second well he digs, well, there's another conflict. And finally, the third time he digs, well, it sounds almost like the story of the three bears. This one was just right. There was no quarreling over it. And he says, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. I like the way he puts that. He, he himself is the one who had his servants dig up this well and it's now there. But he knows right behind it all, the reason that there, there's no conflict over this well is because the Lord has orchestrated it. And so there he heads up to Beersheba and the Lord appears to him again. And again reiterates, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant's sake. So the Lord appears to him again and, and re-promises what he has just promised him. You would almost wonder, does the Lord really need to do that in Isaac's life? He just appeared to him, uh, what, only a, a couple of sentences ago, which likely was a, a longer bit of time, but not that long. And standing in, in front of Isaac, he promises him that he will be with him. Well, then, of course, Isaac goes and trusts in himself. And here he then trusts in the Lord. And here the Lord then promises to him again. And it's really, it's the story of Scripture. It's the story of our lives, of the Lord continually reminding us about who we are in him. I mean, that's why we, we partake in the Lord's Supper, to hear those promises once again. And again and again and over and over and over and over again. The Lord is with us. He will bless us. And so Isaac here hears this again. And I think this is where we, we come to see Isaac in his complexity. Honestly, we come to see Isaac as a, as a saint, as a real human being. Right? He has sinned by trusting in himself. He has been obedient to the Lord, and here as the Lord comes to him, his response to that is that he builds an altar and he worships. It's a wonderful response to the Lord coming to him. And then finally, as we end this episode here, Abimelech returns with his advisor and the commander of his army. It, it may be that he's bringing these extra men here to sort of add a, a bit of threat to Isaac. And Isaac, who has normally been relatively mild-mannered, is this time he seems to be rather upset with these guys. After he has been kicked out of the land, they come back to him, and he just seems to be fed up. What, what are you doing here? You have sent me away. You, you clearly hate me. And they respond that we see that the Lord is with you. And interesting just to note that these pagans use the word Yahweh, the name of God. We see that Yahweh is with you. So make a covenant with us. We have done you no harm. We have not touched you. And we have done nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. It's a bit of a fishing tale there. They seem to be a little bit over-exaggerating uh, the way they treated Isaac. Certainly they treated him with kindness in the sense that they did nothing to harm him. But they also then kicked him out of the city. Hardly sending him away in peace. But you are now the blessed of the Lord. And so what does Isaac do? Isaac throws a feast. They feast and then they enact this covenant. And you'll note the, the way in which this, is, this uh, section here is formed. Uh, they come to Isaac 
They speak about sending Isaac out in peace, which is untrue. But then Isaac makes this great feast for them. They enact this covenant, and then what? They depart from Isaac in peace. A lot of commentators will just note that this it seems to be simply a, a story about the way that Isaac seems to be a peaceful individual, trying to live in harmony and peace with others. And I think there's truth in that. I think Paul calls us to live peaceably as far as we can with others, that Christians should be peace-seeking and peaceful people. But I think there is more to it than that. I think this is simply seeing the, the blessings of Abraham flowing to those outside of God's people. Because you remember what the Lord said, those who bless you, I will bless them. And here it seems Abimelech and his people are are simply blessed now or receiving this blessing and departing in peace from Isaac because of who Isaac is as the Lord's representative. That they are now in harmony and living in harmony with Isaac, which would presumably bring about blessing for them. Well, just to bring this all to a close, we can just simply think, I think, through this text, uh, three things. What, what do we learn about Isaac, about God, and about Jesus? What's interesting, if you just summarize this section, you could really say we, we learn and we see in the life of Isaac that in the first five, first six verses, uh, he's faithful. In the next set of verses, he's foolish. In the next set of verses, he's blessed. In 17 through 22, he's trusting. He trusts the Lord. In 23 through 25, he worships the Lord. And in verses 26 through 33, he is a blessing to others. What about God? Ultimately, We would say this is ultimately about God. Yahweh has given him blessing, has given him peace, has given him promises, and has promised to be with him. I mean, simply we see in God that he is faithful, that he protects, and that he brings great blessing. But above all, ultimately, it's the simple fact that he is with his people. He reiterates this twice. I am with you. I am with you. And finally, what do we see or learn about the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, ultimately, Jesus would come from this line, the line of Isaac and Jacob and Israel. And indeed, this son of Isaac would be the one who would see all of these promises fulfilled. Right? It is Jesus Christ who is called Emmanuel, God with us. He is the one who came to dwell among us. And and what did he do? He came really to send us out in peace. He is the one who came to bring us into an eternal land. And he is the one who has come to give immense blessing and really have his people then go forth as bringing blessing to others. That they would be really the living embodiment of this covenant made with Abraham so long ago. That those who bless us, we bring blessing upon them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can even think of it in the life of the apostles. They did bring curses. When cities would reject them, they were to wipe the feet, wipe the dust off of their feet and leave. 
that Jesus came to be God with us and to equip us, to bless us, and by his Holy Spirit, bring that blessing to others. So let us pray. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres, that's P-R-E-S dot co dot U-K for more.